Welcome back to the most accurate podcast here at 444 Football. As always, I'm your host, John Dagle, after a tumultuous week one. And of course, joining me every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern, official for our weekly preview, it is the man himself and friend in life, John Paulson. Paulson, how are you holding up? One week down, uh, 16 to go, something like that. Uh, yeah, everything's good. Lots of things to learn from week one. That's always the biggest, I guess, homework week where you've all these things that we uh, thought pretended we knew. Some of them gets thrown out the window. Some of them we're right about, but we get to uh, sort of project forward based on what we learned in week one. Corporate was upset. The waiver wire didn't hit at 1 p.m. Eastern, but they don't understand week one and week two. One are the hardest to filter through because, as you mentioned, a lot to learn but also a lot to ignore, and that's the whole point. And we're going to get into everything today. Before we begin, reminder, you can still use the promo code WEEK1. We've developed a new one because the betting team practically paid everyone's subs off between Ryan Noonan's tackle props. You even put in for some prize pick slips, our friends and partners over there, and everything hit, not to mention Connor Allen's ongoing player props and Sharp Clark, who literally won 15.53 units in betting games and totals and sides in week one. And so we're extending that to redraft as well. My waiver wire, which is out on the site for everyone, your projections and rankings every single week for everyone, no matter which package you want. So use the promo code week one. A lot to talk about now, Paulson. So let's get started with the Thursday night game between the Vikings at the Eagles. Lots of news, but let's start with Kenneth Gainwell being ruled out for this one. DeAndre Swift, just one carry in that last matchup in week one, as Kenneth Gainwell actually handled a career high and shocking 82% of the team's backfield touches. But now we have Swift and Boston Scott who were active behind Gainwell as players the Eagles didn't care to use, and then Rashad Penny, who was healthy scratched, being activated in this game. What are your thoughts on the fallout and how everyone should be handling it for their redraft lineups tonight? Well, first, I'd like to take a little victory lap and just give the middle finger to all those people who were hating on me when I mentioned that Gainwell's usage in the preseason, renting, you know, sitting out the first game, blah, 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 all, the, all these beat writers saying that he's been getting the most touches uh, in the backfield looks really gr- looks really good, looks the best. And except for right at the end, it did seem like Swift moved ahead of uh, Gainwell, according to a couple of beat writers. Everybody was, you know, one guy said, oh, I'm going to give you a pass on this, Paulson. You, you were probably drinking when you, when you posted <laughs> this. And then next thing you know, week one, Gainwell dominated the backfield. Yeah. So, yes, he's out. Maybe he can't handle 18, whatever touches but uh has a rib injury but i think you know if you're if you're heading into week one heading into the season and you were expecting swift to dominate uh, you were wrong uh, i thought it would be a committee but gainwell you know potentially ahead and uh it turned out to be that way so i'm gonna take a little victory lap on that um but now he's out so i think we have a situation here john maybe we've seen this before where the there's a there's a good runner coming off the practice squad being elevated likely into this lineup do they view him as better than Boston Scott at running the ball? Uh, I think history has shown that he is Rashad Penny. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we might see a swift Penny backfield with Boston Scott sprinkling in here and there. Uh, we might see Boston Scott ahead of Penny. So that, that's the that's the question. I think Swift is likely the, the best back to play in this backfield uh, dual threat. Um, but 
you know, you could very much see Swift taking some of the passing role, uh, Penny pounding it between the tackles and then having sort of a 50-50 split between the two. So I'm interested to see what they do. I don't have a lot of confidence in Penny because we just don't know if he's in this current configuration, the number two or the number three. And I would not worry about Dallas Goddard if anyone's panicking about his egg in week one. Still one of only three tight ends who ran around on 90% of dropbacks. He's out there permanently. Connor Allen even has an over on our player props for everyone on the site. Again, use the promo code week one so you can be ahead of those numbers and get the best one at your sports book. On the Viking side of the ball, Paulson, I think we have an argument for both sides early on, no matter how you came down on Alexander Madison, because yes, he did handle 77% of the team's backfield touches, but he also averaged 3.1 yards per touch. And some of that can be contributed to this offensive line now without Garrett Bradbury and Christian Darisaw lost both of them in week one against the Bucks. And so how are you ranking Alexander Madison for everyone against the Eagles? Yeah, I think uh, your argument or maybe the anti-Madison argument heading into the uh, season is that he's not that great. He hasn't done anything in his career really to warrant where he's being drafted. My argument was that the usage was going to be there. The way they talked about him is that he'd be a three down back and that when he has had an opportunity, which has been limited, but when he has been the main back, he's really delivered. Um, I think this was a first game where, you know, 14 touches, uh, he did dominate, you know, 14 of 20. So it's not domination. It's 60% of the touches, but it's lead back type touches. Uh, this is a little bit more of the, you know, what we saw out of this backfield last year, not as many touches as the previous years with uh, Mike Zimmer uh, as the head coach. So, you know, they probably expect, you know, 15 to 17 touches a game for, for Madison, which is about what Dalvin Cook saw last year. So, that being said, I'm not panicking or anything about week one. I thought he did fine. He got the rece uh, receiving touchdown, 44 total yards on 14 touches. It was a weird game for this offense. I'm sure Viking fans out there were expecting a lot more success against the Buccaneers. The Buccaneers do have a good rush defense, so kind of giving them a pass there. But now we have uh, a couple injuries on this offensive line, as you alluded to, and mm -hmm. it's looking a little dicey. So I've got him as a mid-range, low-end RB2 this week. You know, I'm expecting a low yards per carry. I think the, the Eagles will likely jump out in this one and the Vikings will pl be playing catch up. So I did bump up Alexander Madison's uh, receptions a little bit uh, compared to what I would normally think you would have. Uh, so I think he's a little bit better as a receiver this game and not quite as good as a runner. I also get la asked a lot about my favorite backup stashes. And to let everyone know, I keep those updated at the bottom of the waiver wire column. I call it the contingency top 10 of how I view backups I'm rostering who have no standalone value. Ty Chandler remains my number one player. I am stashing everywhere. Uh, and before we get out of here, we guessed it right on Jordan Addison's usage. KJ Osborne used significantly ahead of him in two wide sets. Addison ran around on just 66% of dropbacks. But... The Bucks defense broke down, and Addison just ran straight and caught a long touchdown. Uh, we expect his role to grow over the course of the season, but for immediate thoughts in week two, where are you ranking Jordan Addison for those who have start-sit debates with him? Yeah, so we, I think we're going to – we're seeing – we saw the talent sort of in that in that play, uh, four mm -hmm. for 61 on six targets uh, with a touchdown. Uh, it's a good – that's good usage for him in week one. We were expecting him to – 
maybe operate as the third receiver, but I don't think it's going to last for long. He outplayed KJ Osborne. And unless things sort of flip this, this week and Osborne has a great game, uh, you're likely going to see Addison getting into that number two role where he's starting to play 60, 70, 80% of the snaps as opposed to 56% like he did last week. But even with 56%, he had six targets. Uh, they're going to have trouble running the ball. There's going to be more pass attempts probably for, for Kirk Cousins, especially in this one. And uh, he'll be enjoying that single coverage uh, while the defense is focused on Justin Jefferson. Moving on to Sunday slate. Let's begin on a bad note because the Bears are taking on the Bucks. Bucks being two and a half point favorites. Curious to hear your thoughts on what you would do with DJ Moore moving forward, Paulson, because I'm split. We saw last week that Justin Fields, a league-low 3.3 depth of target. Uh, the Bears and Falcons were the only two offenses to throw to their running backs on 40% of their targets. Those are not NFL offenses. Like the Chargers, for reference, led the league with 26% of their targets to running backs last year. Those numbers for the Bears and Falcons aren't sustainable. And in terms of Justin Fields hitting his ceiling in this game, we also saw the Bucks blitz the Vikings at the second highest rate of any team in week one. And Fields last year, as we know, completed just 55% of his passes against the Blitz. But given this offense and how it runs, he did do better against the Packers. Uh, he was blitzed on 11 dropbacks, and he completed nine of those passes, literally doubled his depth of target against the Blitz. And so do you think this is a situation where they target DJ Moore more, no pun intended, after just a 5.5% target share? I mean, they have to, right? They, they spent all this money. They got him in. Uh, they got him. They got uh, Justin Fields, a, a bona fide wide receiver. One week one did not go well. I mean, this there are reports out about how despondent the Bears were after the game. You could see it. You could feel the energy on the sideline as they were out down by twenty points. Just everybody looked miserable, and they just didn't do what they were expecting to be able to do against the Packers, who were supposed to be beatable now that Aaron Rodgers is no longer the quarterback. So, um, I I've I don't know how many hardcore followers of mine actually have DJ Moore because I had him ranked about 10 spots lower than consensus in his mm -hmm. ADP. Uh, but if you have him, uh, this is probably a bounce back situation. The Bucks were bad against the pass last year. Addison obviously had a good game. Uh, Justin Jefferson had a good game last week. So they're they more vulnerable against the pass than they are the run. And this is, they're probably going to force feed more, I would, I would assume. So I've got him ranked as a low end uh, RB2, high end RB3 right now which is about where I had him ranked preseason. Uh, I had him at 30, I think, preseason draft, and he's at 27 this week against the Bucks, who were 29th in just a fantasy points allowed to receivers last year. But that key, you know, the key is that that's last year's data. Can't wait till week four until we have uh, this week, uh, this year's uh, adjusted fantasy points allowed data to work with. Um, so I would say he's not somebody I'm feeling confident about, but he is number one receiver in a, in a, game where the, the pass matchup is better than the rush matchup so he should see his six to eight targets Roshan Johnson also the RB8 and PPR leagues and only 11 touches and that was in negative game script and a blowout in week one Khalil Herbert led their running backs the Bears 12 touches to Deontay Foreman six and Roshan's five until the Packers took that 38 to 14 lead. And then in their last two drives, that's when Roshan receives six touches to Herbert's zero. At the same time, while we're stashing Roshan, 
is exactly that. Because even on those limited touches, he was an RB1, not to mention that his 19.7% target share in his first career NFL game was higher than any game target share for Khalil Herbert through two seasons, 16.5%. Roshan earns targets. That's the whole point. So if there is someone who can break out as a three-touch running back, he's still my pick among this trio. On the Bears, on the Bucks side of the ball, though, Paulson, I did get a little more confident in Mike Evans. Maybe just for this matchup, not long-term, but a 31% target share. Team high 10 targets for Evans last week against the Vikings, and we saw the leaks. You were watching every single snap. You saw the leaks in this Bears defense in the secondary. So you would think it's another matchup where if the Bucks are forced to throw, it's another great matchup for Mike Evans. Yeah, I mean, Mike Evans had six for 66 and a touchdown on 10 targets last week. Godwin had five for 51 on six targets. And I think, I mean, you look at Baker Mayfield, he only threw for 173 yards and two touchdowns. Mm -hmm. And both of those guys delivered at least 10 fantasy points PPR. Evans obviously had the better game of the two, but this is going to be a very concentrated passing attack. So even if Baker's only throwing for 200, 220 yards per game in a normal game, Evans and Godwin should see most of those targets and be able to deliver if, if he's, if Mayfield's not a complete disaster in terms of his completion percentage and all that. So uh, yeah, I would say I was a little more confident as well. This was a good matchup against the Vikings that they, you know, Evans had this game, but you know, he's got another good uh, matchup this week and against the bears. Uh, and it's tough to tell with the bears and the Packers, like, is this, was this just an aptitude on the Bears' defense, or is the Packers' offense better than we think? So it might be a combination of the, of the two, whereas the Bears' defense is bad, but not the worst in the league. Or they might be the worst in the league, and we should play all the Bucks this week. Final thoughts on Rashad White as well, because basically an Alexander Madison performance. 19 touches, yeah. the team's lone carry inside the 10-yard line, but Sean Tucker is still looming if Rashad White runs this ineffectively yeah uh i mean tucker five for 15 rushing wasn't like he lit it up uh rashad 17 for 39 with two catches he had 19 of the, of the uh, team's 28 backfield touches so kind of what we expected for rashad white dominating this backfield so far and you know it's kind of like a push like we, we talked about madison his week one was kind of a push didn't really prove himself one way or the other for the naysayers or the pro people uh pro Madison people I think the same thing can be said about white he, he got the workload that he was expecting um you know you would probably expect a little bit better running against the the Vikings but uh you know 49 total yards no touch no touchdowns for him so it was a disappointing day but he got the workload that we were expecting moving on to the Packers at the Falcons Falcons surprisingly at home one point dogs and I think that's a bit of an overreaction I know you don't want to hear this Paul said but I think the Packers' results lied about their underlying usage. Jordan Love, 55% completion rate, bottom four in next-gen stats, completion rate overexpected. Uh, Romeo Dobbs, two touchdowns, but was used as a tight end. A six-and-a-half-yard depth of target caught his only two targets inside the 10 for those touchdowns. Whereas Jaden Reed still left with cramps in the second half and still tied for the team high in target share, not to mention an 18-and-a-half-yard depth of target on those target share. So I even wrote in the waiver wire column, if you just chase the usage, not the results, Jaden Reed is the player to roster here over Romeo Dobbs, in my opinion. But your thoughts on the Packers' offense? 
Uh, well, I think Dobbs might have been we were heading into the game. Might have been limited. They 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 talked about him having a limited role. So if his hamstring's a little bit better, uh, he might expand. He was also the one that was uh, supposedly uh, Jordan Love's favorite target in camp, especially throughout uh, OTAs and the spring sessions. So uh, I don't know if I would go so far as to go read over Dobbs. I like read a lot, but Dobbs seems to have that goal round, goal line red zone target share i mean obviously mm-hmm. looked his way twice got the two touchdowns so it's hard to replicate that and dobbs does have some yardage ability we saw it last year it wasn't really on display with the five targets uh in this game but i, I would still go dobbs over over reed and i think musgrave was the was the player that was kind of surprising he led all tight ends and air yards uh he was one pass or two passes away from a huge game he had that stumbling backwards catch that right you know landed at the five yard line he could have scored on that one if he had sort of turned his shoulders and maybe caught that stride and then there was another play earlier in the game where he, love missed him you know th- overthrew him on a 30 yard that could he could still be running if he would have caught it so he he was very close to having a monster monster debut uh again it's it's the bears i i think the atlanta falcons defense they spent the most in free agency on defense uh they should be better this year and you know they did do a good job against the Bryce Young and the Panthers last week. So this could be a, a lower scoring game perhaps than maybe what we were expecting with, with Atlanta's defense last year. Luke Musgrave certainly on radars as a streaming tight end, especially because I think we have quite a few to drop and quite a few to add in week one. We'll get to those drops as we move along. I also think it's a great spot for Tyler Algier, who I consider an RB2. That was not blowout why Tyler Algier was getting carries. He's just good. Top 10 both last year and in week one against the rate of eight-man boxes he faced and still finished top 10 in yards per attempt against both. Also handled 100% all four of the team's carries inside the 10-yard line. Everyone's trying to make Bijan Robinson a three-down back, but they obviously both get there in this offense. And against this Packers defense that the Bears only ran the ball 22 times, but the Packers, five of them, still were allowed for 10-plus yards. Uh, I have Algier as an RB2 in this game, and I think he's just very clearly a player you want to get into your lineups this week. Yeah, I have him ranked uh, as a solid RB3, high-end RB3. I think you look at the usage, and he actually outtouched Bijan. And I think the thing that's, you know, Algier's role is actually affecting Drake London and Kyle Pitts because Mm -hmm. they're they're trying to – give Bijan the, the ball uh, through the passing game. So he led the team in targets. So that negatively affects Pitts and London, especially. I mean, London had the goose egg. So uh, the, we it turns out that that discussion that uh, Arthur Smith had about feeding Algier, if he's rolling, you know, it made us worried about Bijan. It probably shouldn't have made us worried about Bijan. It probably should have made us worry about the passing game as a whole because it doesn't seem like he's all that interested in throwing the ball uh, when he's got these two running backs that can constantly turn out yardage. The Texans try to bounce back at home against the Colts. And let's start with the Texans' backfield. What adjustments did you make for Damian Pierce? Because what we saw was not what we saw in the preseason. If you just take the first half, and remember, that was a competitive game. The Texans only trailed by one point at halftime. Damian Pierce handled seven touches to Devin Singletary's four while Mike Boone was playing on passing downs. That's a committee backfield. So the Texans have to be ahead in order for Damian Pierce to return and hit his ceiling. But in this case, are the Texans actually going to be ahead by more than a touchdown and allowing them to pad a lead? So your thoughts on the Texans' backfield? 
Yeah, it's funny, you know, when Singletary signed and they gave him a pretty healthy contract, you're thinking, okay, they want him to have a sizable role in this backfield. Uh, so that's how most of the offseason went with the projections. Then preseason starts and Pierce is like an every down back and it mm-hmm. looked like he was going to be playing on third downs as well. So we're bumping up Pierce in the in the rankings because he's a really talented runner. And if he's catching three or four passes a game as well, then he's going to end up with 20 touches a game. And then week run rolls around and we have this three three-man backfield Pierce has 45% of the snaps uh, ends up with 13 touches in a highly competitive game uh, 13 of the team's 23 backfield touches so you know it's he's no longer you know high-end RB2 fringe RB1 type material he's more you know low-end RB2 mid-range RB2 depending on the matchup until we see uh, his role increase and start to see him getting that 15 to 18 uh, touch range that we were sort of expecting you also mentioned that you want to discuss the Colts' backfield. Deion Jackson, of course, got the start. Evan Hole put on injured reserve, injured early on. And Zach Moss is expected to return. And we expect him to get a majority of the touches after Deion Jackson fumbled twice. So what are you doing with the Colts' backfield? Is there any return here with Anthony Richardson, given that Richardson was the one who handled all of the carries inside the 10-yard line? Well, I think Zach Moss is a desperation type play at this point. You're looking for touches sometimes if you have some injuries and injuries are, st- are starting to pop up. I'm sure there's teams out there, fantasy teams that are just having problems at running back. And if you want to gamble on uh, usage, uh, Moss had a big run at the end of last year for the Colts. I'm sure they remember that. Uh, Deion Jackson was highly ineffective running the ball against the Jaguars. He had 13 carries for 14 yards. Jake Funk had two for 10. Uh Jackson had five catches for 14 yards. It's just not a lot of return there uh, for Jackson. So if if Moss is able to go, they showed last year, it was a different coaching staff, but they showed last year that he uh, was the guy or, was, you know, with Taylor out. So I think for the next three weeks, you probably see him with, you know, 15 or so touches per game as long as he's sort of producing. And he did run well for the Colts late last year. So there is still the issue with the running quarterback, Anthony Richardson, probably going to get most of the goal line carries if he's healthy. So you're probably not going to get a lot of touchdowns out of Zach Moss, but you might get 60 or 70 total yards. I also got a little more confidence in Michael Pittman to soak up 28%, a team high of Anthony Richardson's targets. I honestly think, especially in this kind of matchup with the Texans battling so many injuries, both in their secondary and offensive line, seems like a dominant game, honestly, for the Colts. I think I would start Pittman over Drake London and not think twice about it this week. Yeah, I think he averaged, uh, Richardson averaged 8.2 tar- uh, yards per target to Pittman. They showed a really nice rapport. Uh, I had Pittman on the bench in one league and would have won if I had plugged him in, and I regret, obviously regret it. But you just don't know what you're going to get out of Richardson in week one. It was all doom and gloom, and he ends up with 230 or so passing yards. Looks fairly competent on some of the throws. Uh, but it looks like he, you know, he's going to get there on a weekly basis where they're going to let him throw. They're not just going to run the wishbone and and – not let him throw the ball. So uh, I'm feeling a lot better about Michael Pittman uh, heading into week two. And a deep league note for everyone watching and listening. Noah Brown placed on injured reserve after this game. And that's important since he led all of Texans wide receivers in routes run. We think we're going to get more Tank Dale, who is just a rotational player in week one, to go alongside Nico Collins and Robert Woods. Nico Collins still, in my opinion, the big winner here, given that he still earned a team I 11 targets, and that was on the third most routes run among their wide receivers. People have a lot of questions about the Seahawks and the Lions, Paulson. And I'm curious to get your thoughts on 
how you move the Seahawks wide receivers in your rankings because I'm certainly concerned. Geno Smith, 13 of 21, and that first half against the Rams. Nothing to see. But in the second half, when they lost their starting tackles, Abe Lucas and Charles Cross, he went three of nine for nine yards. The Seahawks totaled 12 yards of offense in that second half. He finished four of 10 under pressure for just 24 yards. Dreadful. So what are you doing with this passing attack in week two? Well, I think there's there's what happens when you lose two tackles in a game and what happens in the mm-hmm. second half. And then, and then there's what happens the following week when they've had time to sort of adjust and get those backups ready. They did uh, add Jason Peters, I think, to the practice squad. I don't know if he's going to be ready to go or not. But this might be a situation where they need to keep their running backs in or add a tight end and and just let their three receivers run their routes, win those routes, and throw the ball that way. And, and I don't think – I think – Smith will be under pressure. I think Aiden Hutchinson's going to get to him and there's going to be some problems there, but uh, I don't think it's going to be like he's on his ass and every, every play and can't complete any passes. So I think last week's second half was an aberration. They didn't adjust well to it in the in game, but with a week of uh, practice and game planning, they'll have a better plan in place to, to keep uh, Gino upright and keep him on schedule. I would hope so because the Lions' defense just could be good. They actually pressured Patrick Mahomes at the seventh highest rate last week, but it didn't matter because Patrick Mahomes is an alien and was just scrambling for his life and continuing to make plays. Uh, Even in losing the game and having his lowest yards per attempt since week 13 of 2021, like Mahomes looked like the best quarterback in the league last week. It was shocking. But it makes sense Like if the Lions were able to stop the Seahawks in this game, because think about what they did in free agency, 24 and a half million guaranteed to two shutdown corners, Chauncey Gardner, Johnson, six and a half million guaranteed to start at safety. Alexander Anzalone, who they gave 9 million guaranteed to led the team in tackles in week one. They also drafted a coverage linebacker, Jack Campbell in the first round and grabbed Brian branch on day two, who had first round grades. Uh, there's a reason why I think this defense translated all that money and draft capital into high pressure rate and becoming a good defense. So if that's the case here, then of course the Seahawks could falter again. Having said that, you have to be encouraged about Ken Walker's usage. 70% of the team's running back carries, 21% target share, and no Zach Charbonnet. Yeah, I had the Lions as a top 10 defense, fantasy defense this week due to this offensive line situation for the Seahawks and you know the, the potential for you know return touchdowns and sacks and all that. Uh, I do think See, this is going to be a high-scoring game. I think Seattle will sort of right the ship offensively, so I still feel pretty good about Geno Smith and DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, et cetera. Um, but you're you're right. This Lions defense is now one that we want to look to stream against bad offenses or bad off, uh, offensive lines. They have the pass rush, and they have the coverage in the backside. David Montgomery, the big story. 70% of the team's running back carries 21-9 to over Jameer Gibbs in that first game. How are you handling this backfield this week, given that Dan Campbell came out immediately and said they are going to give more touches to Gibbs moving forward? Gibbs, of course, who led every player and missed tackles forced in week one. Yeah, I think I had Montgomery, you know, five to eight spots high in the draft rankings. Matthew Berry was on talking about his love uh, for, for David Montgomery's boring production in the sixth or seventh round. And you know, just sort of what we thought him taking over the Jamal Williams role 
came to fruition. He even got the rushing touchdown. Uh, so this week I have Montgomery at 10 against Seattle. Uh, they were 29th and just a fancy points allowed to running backs last year. Obviously gave up, I think, three rushing touchdowns last year or last week uh, to Cam Akers and to Kyron Williams. Uh, so I think Montgomery is in a good spot. I think Gibbs is in a good spot too. I mean, we saw his talent on display in KC. It wasn't like, you know, Gibbs played, looked bad and didn't have as many touches as we were hoping. He just didn't have as many touches as we were hoping, but he looked awesome. So I think he will start to see more carries and more usage. And this offense is going to be even better in the dome at home, uh, than they are going to be on the road out, outdoors. So I, I feel like both are RB one viable, uh, this week against Seattle. A great spot for both Sam Laporta and nuclear spot for Amon Ross St. Brown, too. We got the usage we wanted and expected. 73% of routes for Sam Laporta. Five targets, five catches, 39 yards. A player we can continue using more moving forward. But more importantly, 40% of Stafford's passing yards came from the slot. Uh, No, last year, this team even drafted Devin Witherspoon I believe because teams over the second half of the season stopped going away from Tariq Woolen. So Seattle was so good to players on the boundary. But then, of course, not only did the middle of the field crumble, which we expected, but the boundary even. Seattle allowed the second most receptions on the outside. So not only are we worried about the potency of this offense, we're now worried about this defense. And that makes it great for Amon Raw because he was one of only nine players to run a route on every drop back for their offenses. And still, last year we saw 28.7% target share without T.G. Hawkinson. This year he shows up, does the same thing, 28% target share in week one. So we think given the weakness Seattle has from the slot and Amon Ross' continued high target share, he's just going to blow up. I mean, it's just such an obvious 10-catch game here for him. Yeah, and he's a great play every week. Uh, I also wanted to mention Jared Goff. Uh, He averaged uh, 275 yards, 2.56 touchdowns in nine home games last season. Uh, Matthew actually, Matthew Berry actually mentioned his performance last season in dome games, in in indoor games. And uh, I think that carries over this week. And then Josh Reynolds was really good last week uh, for the Lions. Uh, He's looking like he's the number two option. He had uh, four catches for 80 yards on seven targets. You know, played seventy percent of the snaps, so he's a he's a good sneaky start there. If you need a wide receiver three or a flex, I, you could be right about Jared Goff and Dome, but it's one of those things where I'm poking holes and questioning it. It's something I'm looking towards because I think we debunked that. Um, Jared Goffer's entire career has been a schedule based quarterback, and he just happened to play easy defenses in domes last year. He played seven games against top 16 DVOA defenses, so above average. And in those seven games, he averaged 14 fantasy points with no ceiling performances, no top five finishes in those seven games. But then in his 10 starts against below average DVOA defenses, he averaged 18 and a half fantasy points, four and a half more, and four top five finishes. So I think we're going into this week at least questioning was that dome and Lions road splits that everyone continues to shove down my throat on social media? Was that farce or is that who Jared Goff is in this offense? I'm open to learning, but right now I'm skeptical of that, which makes me think that maybe I'm skeptical of this game's output and the total altogether. Yeah, Another- I mean, Seattle, I just want to say Seattle does have a below average defense. So, you know, this is yeah. a good spot for him, uh, regardless and of Montgomery. whether or not those, yeah, regardless of whether or not those splits are real or not but i don't we'll only we'll only learn something if he struggles against seattle if he if he blows him out again i think you can still make the same points you just made 
a lot more questions I have are about the Chargers and the Titans. The Titans being two and a half point home dogs and a 45 and a half point total because I don't know the Chargers identity after week one. We know we discussed last week that Vic Fangio practically created two eye safeties. So we didn't expect Justin Herbert to have a high depth of target. And it was pretty much the same as it was last year. 7.4 in his first game under Kellen Moore. But maybe that's because of Vic Fangio's defense. Maybe this Chargers offense was eighth overall and run play rate from neutral game script because they were trying to answer Fangio and Miami's defense. I don't know. But what we saw Paulson was 16 carries for Eckler. 16 carries for Josh Kelly, five carries for Justin Herbert as well, which makes you think it was a concerted approach. So your thoughts on the Chargers offense against this, what a miserable Titan secondary. Yeah, so this is the flip, right? So we've got Titans with a good, very good, historically, rush defense, and their pass defense is terrible. So, you know, Kellen Moore has a good reputation for being a bright offensive coordinator. If he if he runs the ball 40 times and throws it 33 times again, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'll eat a eat one of my socks. Uh, That'll <laughs> it, be live. I will yeah. make sure we do that live too. Yeah, it was a, it was you know, I'll be facetious. I don't think I could. I don't think I could down can, a sock. Well, we're gonna find out. We'll see. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, I would expect those numbers to flip and Herbert to have a much better. Uh, passing game than he did last week, 229 yards, 6.9 yards per attempt, one touchdown passing. He got there with the rushing touchdown, right? So I don't think that we're going to see this 16 carries for Eckler, 16 carries for for Kelly uh, again. We, we may never not see it again this season. Those those many carries for both those players. Uh, I think that was a, that was maybe a Miami Dolphins special. So mm-hmm. certainly against certainly against the Titans, it would be dumb to try to run the ball that much and uh, when when all the yardage is available through the air. For the Chargers' backfield, Austin Eckler doesn't seem like he'll practice this week. Though we don't know the status for his game. We talked about Kelly's touches. He's obviously next in line if Eckler were out. And I think he's an easy RB2. I will have a DFS discussion on him Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern with TJ Hernandez. Shameless plug for everyone. But for redraft leagues, I think it's fairly easy, even though he does run into the same concerning situation as Jamal Williams did. Like, no matter how many touches you get against the Titans, at least on the ground, Titans last week, 2.6 yards per carry. Same thing they did with top five in yards per carry uh, in limiting opposing running backs last year as well. Titans are consistently a pass funnel because they stuff the running backs. But I would think still in your rankings, you have Kelly quite high, assuming Eckler misses. Uh, right now I have Eckler in the in the uh, rankings, so I'm not expecting a huge game out of Kelly. I think his touches decline a lot because they're not going to be running the ball as much as they can. Now, if Eckler sits... Yes. Then yes, he's gonna he's he Kelly will be in that you know RB two discussion. Is that where you said you'd have him? Yes, I, I think yeah. he's going to be a touch based RB two again. Probably I don't know guy. about his ceiling since the Titans do, as we saw against Jamal Williams. Jamal Williams had twenty touches, ninety five percent of the team's backfield touches, and it didn't matter at all because the Titans just crumbled him. Yeah, I think he would be sliding into that fifteen to twenty range with those guys like James Conner and Miles Sanders and James Cook and Damian Pierce and Aaron Jones if he plays. Alexander Madison, that seems like a group that that, that Kelly should be in. Uh, he's going to have to produce in the, as a receiver, though. He's going to have a tough time, as you mentioned, with Jamal Williams' struggles. Just running the ball against the Titans is going to be tough, so they may just go away from it altogether. They might have less than 20 rushes and just throw the ball all over the field, which is what they should do. On the Titans' offense, 
I don't think any quarterback was as bad, Josh Jobs included, than Ryan Tannehill. And I don't know what happened. I have no idea how it happened overnight. But that wasn't Ryan Tannehill. Four of 11 under pressure for 38 yards and two picks. Missed Chigokonkwo running deep on a flea flicker for a free 60-yard touchdown. Constantly overthrowing DeAndre Hopkins and Traylon Burks. Even DeAndre Hopkins was wearing those emotions on his body, on his sleeve in the fourth quarter, regretting his decision to sign that deal. It was bad. Having said that, how do you think this offense plays out now through the air? Because at least we know the Chargers last week. It was Tua and Tyreek Hill. I get it. But a league-high 17 passes of 15-plus yards allowed. Also, all we have to do is remove one game, and the Titans were still allowed a league-high in yards per carry last year. So we think their defense can still be formidable and have points thrust on them if the Titans can just get their shit together. Yeah, he played that bad and they only lost by a point. So that I mean that tells you how close that Which, game was. And yeah. It also tells you we should be worried about the Saints more than anything. <laughs> yeah. They're not quite as daunting as we thought, maybe. Yeah. Uh I think, you know, watching some of that game, I uh you could see it happening though. Like when you have a quarterback who's not as good as your best receiver in terms of like importance to the team, which I think right now Tannehill is sort of a bottom third, bottom quarter type passer. And DeAndre Hopkins is still, you know, a top receiver in theory. They're just trying to force the ball to him and he's feeling the pressure to force it to him because Hopkins has complained about roles in the past. He wants to mm-hmm. keep him happy. So he's just throwing the chucking the ball to him. It's not working out well. He caught seven of 13 targets for 65 yards, 9.3 average uh Tannehill 5.8 yards per attempt it was it was ugly um but the Saints it's tough playing the Saints in New Orleans I mean the dome's tough uh so we'll see how how you know in a better matchup at at home right they're in they're in Tennessee um things should should improve and they do have a really strong running game still to lean on so that takes the pressure off of Tanny one also in this game I don't think we lost confidence in Chigokonkwo. I understand zero points, just two targets. But remember, he was literally the league's most efficient tight end last year. Led all tight ends in yards per route run. And he had a full-time role in this game. A route on 77% of dropbacks. So if someone's going to hit, it would likely be a player like Chig. Continue chasing the usage. And then, I'm curious to get your thoughts on Derrick Henry. Because I think it's a great spot for him. I know it didn't go right last week. I know everyone's mentioning Tajay Spears outsnapped him 34 to 30. But again, no one's going to come along on this island with me. I still think running back snaps are one of the most misleading stats in all of fantasy football because Derrick Henry still handled 82% of the team's backfield touches. Let him play five snaps. I don't care. As long as he gets all the touches, that's just fine. And so given what we said about the Chargers defense, I think this game runs through Henry and it could be a blow up spot. Yeah, I mean, he had 119 total yards. I mean, mm-hmm. they gave they gave like, and I think I think it was Al uh, Smizzle, but it might have been somebody else. You know, give give Derrick Henry one screen pass a quarter. Yeah, just let him see what he can do with it. He led the league in yards per route run last year, and you know, small amount of targets, but he you know broke crushed his career highs receiving. So. You know, everybody worried about Henry, you know, after a quote-unquote bad game because he had 63 yards rushing. Well, look at his receiving, 56 yards. Um, and, you know, the touchdowns are going to come with him. So, yes, I think in a better rushing matchup, things look pretty good for Henry, you know, moving forward. 
the the touch decline here, if we're looking at it that way, 17 touches for him is is low. He's averaged over 20 each of the last two seasons. It might be a, a blessing in disguise if he's able to if this if this plan is able to keep him healthy for the entire season. He is getting a little bit on the older side of his prime. And you know, I wouldn't look at it necessarily as a huge negative that he's going to see 17, 18 touches instead of maybe 20. But I think if the running game's rolling, we're going to see him in his usual role where they're feeding him the ball over and over again. Again, more on Derrick Henry and the DFS show Friday. And Tajay Spears, in my opinion, just given that he still ran a route on 49% of dropbacks as a as a deep league PPR option, I would still stash him because not only may he provide flex value in the bye weeks, but he still has the outs of Derrick Henry being injured or traded. So Spears is someone I still want to stash. The Ravens and the Bengals, more question marks everywhere, Paulson. I talked about their backfield and my opinion of them in the waiver wire show on Monday night, but I would like to hear what you're doing with the Ravens committee in your rankings. Yeah, I didn't hear your take on it. So uh interested to if you could give me a you know summary of that. But I you know I'll tell I'm you if I at, hate your thoughts. Let's hear okay. yours first. No, I think this is gonna, you know, Hill, just uh Justice Hill played a little bit ahead of Gus Edwards mm-hmm. while Dobbins was uh healthy. And once Dobbins left, it was basically a timeshare. And I think you're gonna see that a 50-50 split. It might even be 55-45 towards Gus Edwards, because I think he is the more proven between the tackles runner, he's got a career 5.0 yards per carry or higher. Uh, he, every year he's averaged that. He's he's really good running the ball. He's not very good as a receiver, and that's somewhere where Justice Hill's pretty good. So I think you end up seeing a, you know a timeshare between these two. I don't think either one's going to be super trustworthy. But if you're in a standard league, uh, Gus Edwards probably gets the nod. Uh, if you're in a PPR format, maybe Justice Hill. The interesting thing was that they did give Hill those goal line carries for the touchdowns. Uh, mm-hmm. Gus Edwards, Gus Edwards did get the two point conversion uh, right after one of those touchdowns. So you know, I would think that's going to be Edwards in that role, but maybe they like Hill in that role. I don't know, or maybe that was just his role because he was Dobbins was out and he was the number two player in the game plan coming into that game. But I, I don't think that either one of these guys is going to be like an every week start. I think we'll probably see, you know. 12 to 13 touches each, uh, you know, if they get the same sort of workload that they got, uh, the backfield got last, last week. More memories are made when you're there for live NFL action. And when you need tickets, Ticketmaster's got you covered. As the official marketplace of the NFL, Ticketmaster gives you more ways to find your perfect seat. Their interactive seat map gives you 360-degree previews of your section to make sure you have the best views of those pivotal plays. And if your plans change, Ticketmaster gives you more flexibility to sell or transfer your tickets. Plus, mobile tickets make getting in on game day a breeze. You can even customize your Ticketmaster app to rep your team's colors. Find tickets today at Ticketmaster.com NFL. Price Picks is North America's largest independently owned daily fantasy sports platform and one of the most exciting ways to play DFS. And best of all, Price Picks is simple. Just choose between two to six players and pick more or less than their Price Picks stat projection. It's that easy. And you can win up to 25 times your money on any entry. But it doesn't stop there. Price Picks even offers in game projections. 
Imagine gathering at the house, watching football with all your friends, and building an entry to cheer for together, with more Devonta Smith receiving yards, or less Justin Fields rushing yards. Now, you can. Just go to prizepicks.com slash accurate, and use the promo code accurate to match your first deposit up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Prize Picks is North America's largest independently owned daily fantasy sports platform and one of the most exciting ways to play DFS. And best of all, Prize Picks is simple. Just choose between two to six players and pick more or less than their Prize Picks stat projection. It's that easy. And you can win up to 25 times your money on any entry. But it doesn't stop there. Prize Picks even offers in game projections. Imagine gathering at the house, watching football with all your friends, and building an entry to cheer for together, with more Devonta Smith receiving yards, or less Justin Fields rushing yards. Now, you can. Just go to prizepicks.com slash accurate, and use the promo code accurate to match your first deposit up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. My thoughts are that we were lied to initially in week one. <laughs> uh, we talked about Todd Munkin's offense and at least the reports out of training camp changing mm-hmm. usage for players. And that was not the case at all. Uh, the Ravens, since 2019 with Lamar Jackson and Greg Roman, had never finished any higher than 27th in backfield target rate. In week one, they finished 25th. Nothing to see. Not to mention that, yes, everyone is citing like you, those two touchdowns for Justice Hill. No one mentions that he averaged one yard per carry, that he was basically Ezekiel Elliott, and that he better fall forward for a touchdown, otherwise he offers nothing. And now we think it's going to be three-headed. Like, you can laugh at Melvin Gordon all you want. This is the same offense in 2021. We're literally just one season removed from them plucking Devontae Freeman off of free agency and having him leading their backfield as the RB48 and RB4 and PPR points per game. So, of course, Melvin Gordon could come in, can be the most trusted back regardless if he's efficient, and then still get usage over Hill and Edwards in a three-headed committee that doesn't get targets. To me, that just screams none of these guys have ceilings. So, of course, then you can pick them all up, but will they be even RB2s? I don't know. I have no idea, and I worry about that. So, in the waiver wire, I had Kyron Williams ranked over them and Josh Kelly if Austin Eckler's out. I think that's very clear. For the passing game, though, what are your thoughts on the Ravens' receivers' fallout? Because what we saw was Lamar Jackson sterling from a clean pocket. 15 of 15, 100% completion rate. Amazing. But then, just like the Seahawks, the Ravens got hit in the trenches. Tyler Linderbaum, starting center, out in the first half. Uh, All-pro left tackle, Ronnie Stanley, out in the second half as well. And Lamar Jackson went 2 of 7 for 14 yards and an interception under pressure. Just miserable. So how do you see these wide receivers doing in week two in your rankings? Well, how how are those uh, offensive linemen looking for this week? Are they out? Not good. Uh, Week-to-week injuries. All right. So, again, it's easier to plan when you have a week to plan uh, for – for something like that uh, than it is in game to make adjustments unless you've already talked about what to do uh, if you lose one or two offensive linemen. So um, Zay Flowers was the big story of the passing game, especially with uh, Mark Andrews sidelined. 
Uh, will be very interesting to see if if Andrews plays between him, him and Flowers, if if this continues where Flowers is seeing 10 targets. I doubt it. Uh, the the We were also told when we were lied to about Todd Monken's offense was that I guess the, the Ravens did lead the game the whole way or most of the way, mm-hmm. but Lamar Jackson only attempted 22 passes. Uh, yeah. They ran it through 32 times. So this whole pass happy offense didn't really happen. However, you know, not every game is going to be a 25 to nine win. Uh, so we may see it in the future. We'll see. They do have a lot more talent at receiver uh, and probably should throw the ball a bit more, especially with JK Dobbins out. I would just say, I, I think Gus Edwards is a lot better right now in his career than Melvin Gordon. Uh, I may be wrong, but Edwards is younger. He's his, advanced stats have always been good. Now he's a full year removed from the ACL injury. So I do think he's going to be ahead of Melvin Gordon. They might force some touches to Melvin Gordon. That's my worry. Uh, it really yes. should be a, 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 it should be probably an Edwards Hill backfield with Hill taking some of the passing downs. Um, but they may, they may decide that they need to justify having Gordon on the team and, and not just as a direct backup to Edwards. Like you. Yes. I do believe, no, we know Gus Edwards is the better back, but our job is to say who do the coaches believe, yes, is going to be the back and get the targets. That's the issue here. I also think, maybe I'm stubborn, I think we got Isaiah likely right. I was very high on him from Friday and Saturday. What happened, though, first catch of the game, very first catch of the game, a concerted target underneath, just like how Zay Flowers led every player in week one, not just the Ravens, every player with a 47.5% target share, all concerted targets. They started the game with their first play, a catch to Isaiah Likely. Then they lost their offensive lineman, and he had to block on 45% of his snaps. I think we were on our way to a big game, but they had no choice but to keep him in line instead. Maybe I'm stubborn. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Either way, we're starting Mark Andrews here. And for the Ravens, we cannot start Rashad Bateman uh, until we get more information. 59% of routes on these teams' dropbacks. Again, you want to talk about being lied to? We were told Bateman was at full health in this game, and it was instead Odell Beckham who ran around on every dropback but couldn't earn targets at this stage of his career, at least this early. So worried about Brashad Bateman. Keep him on your benches for the time being. Everyone, Paulson, also worried about the Bengals passing attack, but I think we get a bounce back. Maybe Joe Burrow is rusty, as he said, and needed that preseason time, and maybe it's too early. But he was blitzed on 40% of his dropbacks in week one and averaged 1.9 yards per attempt. That's not who he's been in his career. The entire league knows there are two players you don't blitz, actually three players you don't blitz. It is Patrick Mahomes, Dak Prescott, and Joe Burrow because they crush you. Joe Burrow last year even averaged six and a half yards per attempt, and only Mahomes and Jared Goff threw more touchdowns against the blitz. So if that's how the Ravens want to play him, thinking he's injured, they're going to destroy the Ravens, especially in a game like we saw – C.J. Stroud have passing production in the second half once the Ravens lost Marcus Williams and didn't have Marlon Humphrey. So I'm betting, it's easy to say, but I'm betting on a big Bengals bounce back here. Yeah, I kept wait, uh, watching the score of that game, waiting for the Bengals offense to wake up, and it just never never did. Uh, one thing I wanted to note is that the Cleveland defense was one of my defenses to watch uh, heading into this season. I did the mm-hmm. historical, the which teams invested in defense in 2023. They had the third most uh, money invested in free agency, uh, 20 plus 26 million spent on the defensive line. And they already had a pretty good defense uh, last year. So they were eighth best fantasy defense last year. And they added that talent. Uh, looks like the Evelyn Tomlinson tackle safety, uh, Juan Thornhill 
and then uh, a defensive end, a cor- or Corom Quo. Uh, so I, I did my best there, everyone. Uh, I'm proud so, of you for noting defensive players, though. It's okay. Yeah. No, I think that the Browns' fantasy defense is one to really keep an eye on. I believe they have a good be- uh, matchup uh, this week as well. Uh, we'll get to it. But um, so that that might be the a little bit of a pass for the the Bengals. Maybe this Browns' defense is really good. They were a little rusty, and that's why this all happened. And I would agree with you that uh, it's always tough to run on the the uh, Baltimore Ravens. Uh, so we probably won't see a huge game from Joe Mixon unless it's through the air. And that, that forces a lot of passes for uh, the Cincinnati Bengals and Joe Burrow. So I, I do think that they'll, they'll bounce back uh, offensively. The Raiders at the Bills with Bills as nine-point favorites could be a lot of fun because we know the Jets under Robert Sala have owned Josh Allen. No more than 205 passing yards or one touchdown through the air in both of his matchups last year. And then, of course, comes out and just gets forced into deep throws that became errors. They just know how to play him. But now we have this bounce back spot that I think we should get some push because quietly the Raiders scored a touchdown on 28.6% of their drives, which was the seventh highest rate of week one. So we expect them to score, continue scoring more surprisingly. Uh, and get more possessions since they ran the second fewest drives of week one, two. So I would think, Paulson, you also are on a bounce back here for the Bills passing attack. Yes. I think, I mean, the Jets obviously have a lot better defense than the Raiders. I wasn't, I was kind of, I was listening to you wondering where, where you were going with that. Uh, but yeah, yeah I, my thought, if, it's week two. My thoughts are still scrambled. There's so much to talk about. Yeah. I was, I was wondering, just was wondering. I was, yes. I think the Bills bounce back is a fairly safe assumption given the, you know, home game now against the Raiders. Uh, the Raiders, you know, they're not, they're probably not going to have Jacoby Myers this week. Uh, Devontae's banged up as well. So we might see Hunt, a little bit of Hunter Renfro. I don't know how well they're going to be able to move the ball uh, specifically through the air. So it might be a big Josh Jacobs game. Um, I don't know how much they're going to be able to score. We'll see. Uh, the, the total's fairly high. I mean, it's middle, I guess, middle road or high, 46 and a half. Uh, yeah, I, I think, you know, jo- Josh Allen bounces back from a pretty bad game last week. He's got tons of weapons. The Raiders give up points. Uh, this seems like a, a, a great spot for him. I also was a little scrambled because I want to flag plant Gabriel Davis, if I may, because I know a lot of people have some questions about Drake London and other fringe wide receivers who did not do well. We'll get to Christian Kirk. We'll get to others as we move along, but I love Gabriel Davis in this game. Raiders played zone coverage at a top 10 rate in week one. And those are the kind of splits TJ Hernandez and I always talk about in the DFS show. And Last year, it's because Gabe Davis saw 61% of his targets against zone coverage for the ninth most yards per catch. He doubled his yards per route run against zone coverage last year compared to against man coverage. So if that's what we're getting, it just seems like an obvious spot to throw in Gabe Davis as a confident wide receiver three or flex option. Yeah, I'll have to plug him into my Scott Fishbowl lineup now that you've sold me on him. Uh, you know, you know, I like Dave, Gabe Davis. He had the... He played a lot of uh, played a lot of snaps against the Jets, but it was the Jets, and he did catch a, a long one against Sauce Gardner, uh, a twenty six yarder, I think. Uh, and he, you know he's out there for a lot of snaps with Josh Allen and a, a good matchup against the Raiders. I mean, I think he's one of these peripheral guys that uh, could definitely have a, a startable game for you. There were some concerns finally on this game about James Cook, who had competent usage, fifteen percent target share, uh, but did not play in the two-minute drill, and did not get the touches inside the 10-yard line 
which I think is what we should have expected. He didn't have a single carry inside the five-yard line last year, and they added two bigger backs and Latavius Murray and Damian Harris. So where do you have James Cook ranked in week two? Yeah, he had a he had a good touch share though, and I think this is a, a, another favorable matchup. So I've got him ranked at uh, RB uh, eighteen uh, this week. Okay. So I, you know, I think this is a good spot for him, and you know, maybe he gets a touchdown from outside the ten. I don't, I don't think you have to be a goal line back to score touchdowns, especially when you catch the ball like he can. So uh, he'll break one, or he'll he'll catch one uh, one of these days, and uh, he's he's going to be out there as the Bills are moving the ball up and down the field. And as you mentioned. If Jacoby Myers remains in concussion protocol, Hunter Renfro will be the next man up. Although, is he the same player as Jacoby? Does he get 10 targets to Devontae Adams' nine? Probably not. So we probably need to get higher on Devontae Adams. Chiefs at the Jaguars. 51-point total, marquee game. We saw these teams play twice last year, and the Jags at least tried to understand the assignment. 39 and 40 pass attempts. They did have a punt opening that playoff game after a surprise on-field kick from the Chiefs' 40-yard line. So maybe they didn't actually understand the assignment. But overall, we also didn't see the potency of the Jags' passing attack in Week 1 because they didn't need to. Uh, They ran 11 personnel, which, again, we expect them to run all the time at only the 25th highest rate in Week 1 because they didn't need to. They didn't need to pass the ball. And so there are some concerns about Christian Kirk, Uh, his lowest route rate, 69% in any game with Trevor Lawrence compared to last year, his lowest target share, 9.3% since week five of last year. If Travis Kelsey plays and we get pushed from the Chiefs offense, I would imagine it is an amazing bounce back game for Christian Kirk in this attack. Interesting, because, you you know, I've been high, 20 spots high on Zay Jones. Uh, I think he can be high on all three of the receivers this Mm -hmm. week, though. Ridley's obvious. Uh, Zay Jones has kind of out out kicked his coverage for the last season and a half now or a season in a game uh was excellent last year uh excellent value pick it looks like he's going to be a good value pick this year because he's playing on in two wide receiver sets and he's out there with trevor lawrence and ridley's getting that uh double coverage so uh kirk yeah he if, if you think that they're going to go back to their three receiver sets then kirk is on the field now you know 80 percent of the time instead of i think it was 60 percent of the time in week one. And so that will increase his opportunities. And he was, you know, I, I think at the start of this, I was really high and start of this off season. I was really high on Christian Kirk, but you know, as this more and more data came out and, you know, looking at them and, and their usage of three receiver sets versus two receiver sets in the preseason, it did seem to me that Zay Jones was the value. Uh, you know, Ridley was the obvious alpha and then Zay Jones versus Kirk was, you know, looking at ADP was definitely Zay Jones. And I still think that's the case. But Kirk should pop his head up here and there, especially if they have to run their three receiver sets like you mentioned in this particular game. So uh, I I wanted to give you a shout out for the Travis Etienne call last week. I was not expecting him to get five catches after they barely used him last year. That was a career high target (laughs) share. I didn't expect that either. Yeah, I uh, was really happy to see them start to use their passing, you know, their really good passing uh, catch. pass catching back uh, actually as a pass catcher. I mean, that was really nice. Also got the touchdown as well. So, uh, you know, ETM looks like a really good start this week against the Chiefs. Zay Jones ran just one fewer route than Calvin Ridley. It's very clear he is in two wide sets no matter what. So we should stay high on him. And honestly, that's why I plugged him back into the waiver wire. He was viewed as more of a best ball option because we couldn't pick the, the performance weeks. But if he's locked in that much into two wide sets, that's a weekly wide receiver theory of flex from Trevor Lawrence, yeah. who could in in the year as MVP, honestly. So we have to get higher on him. 
But as you mentioned, we're now playing a week-to-week game. So like I had Christian Kirk in my fades article in the first 10 rounds, and I feel good about that. But playing a week-to-week game, this is the matchup for Christian Kirk. Uh, 14 and 12 targets in his two matchups against the Chiefs last year because that's what they do from the slot. They allowed 123 receiving yards to the slot on Thursday night against the Lions, and they allowed the fourth most catches to the slot in 2022. So if they push back, which it's the Chiefs, of course they can, we think it's a lot of 11 personnel in Christian Kirk game. Either way, high on Ridley and Zay Jones. Speaking of the Chiefs offense, I'm going to leave it to you to talk about their wide receivers because what a piss-poor performance. Sky Moore, second-most routes run, and it doesn't matter at all, because one end-around and one catch doesn't pay my mortgage. Only earned a target on 12.5% of his routes. Kadarius Tony limited, just 11 routes, but in pure Kadarius Tony fashion, targeted five times on those 11 routes, and then, of course, dropped every ball, including what led to a 50-yard pick six, which was winning a possession for the Lions. So... How do we handle these wide receivers this week? Well, they're they're running a, a seven man rotation. Yes. Uh, so <laughs> unfortunately, and, yes. And Kelsey's out, and none of them really deliver uh, against the Lions. Let's who, let's assume Kelsey's back this game. What the hell do you do with them then? Because I'm pretty sure we're getting Kelsey back, and thus Noah Gray back to the bench. I think you're, you know, you're in a wait and see with this. Like, I wouldn't want to start really any of these players this week with Kelsey back until we start to see these target shares and these snap shares start to sort of consolidate behind two or three players. Um, you know, I think Tony earns the targets out there. He, he didn't play many snaps. They're trying to get him the ball. He was really bad in terms of his drops. But for two years, he's had a really high yards per route run in limited snaps with the giants and then with the chiefs if he if he gets to a point where he's healthy enough and he can play 50 60 percent of the snaps then i think he's going to deliver but it was it was a nightmare sky Moore was a you know i won't say he's a complete disaster because he didn't have that many opportunities but he's playing 80 percent of the snaps and he's not he only has three targets and then he gets a catch and it's brought back by holding so it's like you can't even get him going at all but he's not earning targets when he's out there uh, so now you're going to add Travis Kelsey to this. Like, I don't want to start any of these guys other than Kelsey, uh, you know, Mahomes and maybe Isaiah Pacheco. I don't want to start any of these chiefs. I did get a little higher on Isaiah Pacheco because remember limited with that shoulder injury, basically wore the red non-contact Jersey throughout training camp and handled only one carry in the last preseason game. But then he comes out and he still won the timeshare as a limited player. Jarrett McKinnon didn't record a single carry, only played on third down. The And then Pacheco out-carried Clyde Edwards-Alaire, who was miserable, 8-6, to six, out-touched Clyde Edwards-Alaire, 12-7. to seven. And again, we think he was limited in that game. If that's the case and his role grows from here, I actually wanted to get higher on Pacheco moving forward. Uh, absolutely. McK- McKinnon, you, you would have thought, given how he finished late last year that with Kelsey out, that he would have been a big, much bigger part of the game plan. He wasn't. They... They want to get Pacheco involved as a receiver, uh, led the backfield in targets with four. He caught all four for 31 yards, played 60% of the snaps. He only ended up with 9.4 PPR points per game, but that's going to increase as he uh, scores a touchdown and starts to see some more of these snaps. Uh, but, you know, 12 total touches for him in a, in a game where he was theoretically limited is, is a pretty good sign for the future, especially given his role in the passing game. The afternoon slate 
starts with the 49ers at the Rams and the Rams being seven and a half point home dogs. And we're going to have to stick around for five to 10 minutes on this game in particular for everyone because there's a lot to discuss. Let's go to the 49ers. Kyle Shanahan has put at least 20 points on the board in all five matchups against the Rams the last two years, playoffs included. And now we've seen Brock Purdy with another 30-point performance, the QB9 in fantasy points, and yet again, top 10 completion rate under pressure. Uh, the Niners finishes one of only four offenses to have 20% of their plays go for 15 yards. I know there's debate about Brock Purdy in both fantasy and film-watching circles, but he's good. He's just good, and it's that simple. And honestly, he is a low-end or fringe QB1, in my opinion, weekly, because he's the engineer and beneficiary of this offense. Yeah, I think he's good, and he's also in a very QB-friendly system. We've seen yes. Kyle Shanahan's offense just make fantasy stars out of a lot of these quarterbacks that you think are sort of journeymen or whatever. And, you know, another another game against the Steelers, 7.6 yards per attempt, two passing touchdowns, 220 yards. He also added 20 yards rushing, so he's, he's doing that a little bit. Uh, he ran for some touchdowns last year, even though his yardage wasn't very high. But, yeah, he's just a solid quarterback. That's why he was get, moving up those rankings, you know, once it, it was determined that he was going to be starting week one. Uh, you know, I was a believer in what he did late last year. We saw how the team fell apart in Philly when he once he went out and he proved himself. So that's why all offseason I was asking you, why is Trey Lance going off the board QB 14? Mm -hmm. I guess it was early in the spring. I just couldn't believe it because uh, we were in charge of dra drafting. You know, it's our job to draft in March and April. And so we were having Trey yeah. Lance discussions then. And now. I'm stuck with the the Cowboys third string quarterback as my QB two in some early best ball leagues. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that was that was mind boggling to me, given the way that they were talking about Purdy as the clear starter. So, you know, if healthy, so once he was on the track to be healthy, makes a lot of sense. He's a really good. He's you know, for those that got him as a QB two in super flex leagues, I think they're going to be really happy with him, especially if he's adding 20 yards rushing per game because it's just a highly efficient offense. He's got tons of weapons. If they lose a player or two, they can still operate as, you know, it's not like one of these, you know, if the Vikings lose Justin Jefferson, they're going to be in trouble. Uh, you know, if, if they lose a receiver, if they lose Debo or Brandon Ayuk or Kittle for a game, they can they can withstand that. Uh, so you just have this deep, talented offense and a really, really friendly system. So uh, Purdy's a good guy to have. I have a hard opinion on Debo Samuel or Brandon Ayuk in this game, but I'm curious to get your thoughts on the rankings on those two first. Well, I'm interested to hear your, your thought because you know, just coming out of last week, it just looks like Ayuk is a much more uh, bigger part of the offense. Like they're just planning to get him the ball, trying to get him the ball, like they used to try to get Debo the ball. So I, you know, I'm, I think Ayuk is the better receiver. Uh, Debo is better at yak and that kind of stuff, but you know, and better running the ball once he gets the ball in his hands. But Ayuk's the better route runner. He's the one that gets open. Uh, and they're, it looks like they're starting to feature him now. So, you know, in years past, it was Kyle Shanahan loved Debo, was kind of down on Ayuk. Uh, you know, he's in the doghouse uh, at the start of one of the seasons, but he had a breakout year last year, uh, and I think he's going to build on that right now. I've got him at wide receiver 14 and uh, Debo at wide receiver 16 this week in half PPR. Very close then. And yeah. yes, maybe it is a turning of the corner of Ayuk, but again, Debo only had one fewer target, and I think the way the 49ers played the Steelers last week was a IU game plan where I think it comes back to Debo this week. Uh, he, Debo, not Brandon Ayuk, ran around on every drop back for the 49ers on Sunday, and Ayuk was targeted more. 
I think because he was on Patrick Peterson. The game plan very much seemed like to target Patrick Peterson. And that's why Peterson had the most targets and coverage of any Steelers defender. Ayuk, both of his touchdowns came on Peterson too. Meanwhile, Debo was not covered by Peterson once. And we know against Sean McVay, who has had no answers for Debo throughout his career, Samuel has averaged 11 yards per touch against the Rams. So I think it all comes back, honestly, for Debo in this game. Both are great plays, but man, I love Debo props this week a lot. Yeah, looking at the you know quarterback uh, cornerback matchups, it does appear that Ayuk uh, has runs about forty six percent of his routes on the left side, and he's going to end up facing Darian Kendrick, uh, while uh, Debo might be getting more Witherspoon. And it looks like Kendrick is the better matchup, so we'll see. And no one needs to be told to start Christian McCaffrey. But again, talking about week one lies, the 49ers said they were doing everything they can. The game plan for this year is to limit McCaffrey and keep him healthy. Boy, did they lie about that. Uh, his 83% of the team's backfield touches were the most in any game he's played with Elijah Mitchell. Yeah, if you could, you know, I had Eckler slightly ahead of McCaffrey. I don't think it was a outlandish take. I think you could justify it. My argument was that every time Elijah Mitchell played, McCaffrey's touches dropped yeah. pretty significantly. He was still seeing a lot of touches and he's highly efficient. So he was my you know, RB two, but if you could have shown me this box score, you know, 49ers win 30 to seven and McCaffrey has 22 carries to Mitchell's five and three catches. And you could tell me that Mitchell didn't get injured. Then I definitely would have had McCaffrey as the overall RB one, because it just yeah. shows that they're going to, they're going to feed him the ball. Uh, even in the game where they, you know, blew out the Steelers, like they had no reason to give them 22 uh, carries and they still did. Uh, so yeah, he looks like the, you know, strong, 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 strong RB one going forward to say it lately. One more week of it, because I still kept Roshan Johnson, for example, on the contingency top 10, since we think at least short term, he only got his touches because of a blowout. One more week of this usage and Elijah Mitchell's going in the contingency top 10 because he has zero standalone value every single week. Let's move over to the Rams side of the ball because there's a lot to parse through here. And I'm curious to get your thoughts on Puka Nakua since I talked about in the waiver wire show. We saw high stakes leagues and everyone's leagues come in and Puka pretty much went anywhere from 70 to 95% of fab, whether you had a hundred or thousand dollars starting Puka, of course, ran a route, 70% of his routes from the boundary, which gives us more confidence in putting him on our roster since even when Cooper Cup returns, that's the guy who's still there, even if his ceiling gets a lot lower. Not to mention a 40.5% target share. The second highest target share of any player in week one stands out too. So what are you doing in the rankings with Puka this week? Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, I, I'm in one of those high-stakes leagues. I let my co-owner put in the the, the waiver wire this week, and he had uh, Puka, I think, at 80 820, so 82% of, uh, we needed a receiver, 82% yep. of, of fab and high stakes. You just kind of go after, there's not a lot out there too, because the rosters are pretty deep. And I just was like, okay, whatever. I don't, you know, I'm not going to lower it. And then we miss out on him and we ended up getting him. So I'm interested to, I'm interested to be a Puka uh, manager this, this year. Uh, and I like the outside inside because that's the concern, right? Kelp comes back, just completely dominates targets, and then Puka goes nowhere. But if you look at this, look at last week, 38 pass attempts by Stafford. Puka had 15. That looks like a cup line, right? So the next highest was 2-2 Atwell with eight. So if that becomes if Puka becomes that, then 
we're still looking at eight targets. And and, and Tutu was all gadget. Uh, he led every player in snaps from motion. And even when you watch the film, you can see that. He's constantly just a little 150-pound body running yeah. behind the line of scrimmage and getting open underneath. So we don't think that's sticky. Like, we want guys who can earn targets. And I put out a clip. If you watch the tape, like, Puka was freezing Tariq Woolen, one of the best cornerbacks in the entire league. He was beating him deep, and there was a couple touchdowns Stafford left on the board because he just overthrew him. So we think Nokua can certainly stand around. Yeah, and I, you know, this is a difficult defense to play, the 49ers. So I'm not like super bullish on Puka. I think he's startable as a wide receiver three, but I think they're, this is one of the most competent defenses, competent coaching staffs in the league, and they'll probably have a plan for him. But I think he's a, you know, mid range to low end wide receiver three this week, certainly startable given some of the things that are going on around the league. I also think we lost Tyler Higby, and I don't think we're overreacting here. In 12-team leagues with shorter benches, five or six players, I actually dropped Tyler Higby because, again, there's so many, in my opinion, more competent options to roster. Hunter Henry, Luke Musgrave, Jake Ferguson included. For Higby, we spent all offseason arguing about his 27.4% target share in the last seven games to close the season. No one commanded targets. That's the thing. Now they do have player commanding targets. They have Puka, as we just talked about. Tutu getting concerted targets, even like if he ran real routes, whether he'd be able to earn targets on them, we don't know. But the fact that they're scheming targets for him takes away from Higby. Not to mention this backfield, Kyron Williams running 30 routes to K-Makers 4 as an elite pass-catching running back, at least in college. Uh, and again, remember, Adam Schefter before week one last year came out and said the Rams have intentions to utilize Kyron Williams as their feature back. And then on the opening kickoff of week one, he gets injured. So we never saw that come to fruition. Because of that, Paulson, I think it's why Higby had an 8% target share. Thus, I'm just moving on personally in 12-team leagues. Yeah, I might give it another week or just put him on the bench. If Fair. you were, you know, if you're, if you're having a tough time at tight end, I mean, I, I would hate to, you know, cut him and then he ends up with eight catches or something this week. It was very alarming given the matchup too, because Seattle's been terrible against tight ends for years. Um, and for the fact that, with with cup out he didn't wasn't a big didn't have a big role that was certainly alarming uh you know i have him at 13 this week that might be a little bit high given the other guys around him ninjoku juan johnson kincaid ferguson below him i you know i think i might drop him down uh just kind of take this week one a little bit more seriously in terms i mean i'm looking at this it's just ridiculous this the puka got 15 targets and tutu atwell got eight uh and higby was barely involved uh it, it it, it, it kind of flies in the face of what we were sort of expecting for most of the offseason. I know that people out there screaming that they were Puka, Puka fans from, you know, day one. But, um, you know, I think most of us thought that Higby would have uh, a big role in this offense and it just didn't happen in week one. So, I, you know, I think he's still, I mean, I think in one quarter or one tight end leagues, you don't need to keep him. He's not like this uh, breakout Goddard, Waller, Kittle type talent he was a guy that was going to get there based on volume and you know catch the ball fall down uh you know maybe get six catches in a game or something like mm -hmm. that but it doesn't look like that's they're not going to force him uh targets when they have these other talented guys uh, that they're able to scheme open what are you doing with cam Akers finally in week two because in my opinion i think it's a position to sell high like if someone sees 22 carries and wants that just give it away 29 rushing yards, not to mention 
He out-touched Kyron Williams 11-1, to all carries over the last nine minutes of the game because the Rams were up by two scores. Like in a situation where it's negative game script, which is what we think will still happen, given that we still have so many questions about this Rams defense, it's all Kyron. I mentioned 30 routes to Akers 4, and Kyron out-touched Cam Akers 14-11 to until the time they took that two-score lead. Yeah, like that was that's a weird game because I was I was seeing Kyron scoring and then I you know then all of a sudden Cam's touches started to to rack up and I was trying to figure out like what is the plan there with these two and, and Akers finished the season extremely strong last year like he was the bell cow uh, and he, you know he did get the start uh, looks like he had the first three touches oh no well Kyron had a Kyron had the second touch. So Cam Akers had the first touch, then Kyron, then Cam, then Cam, then Kyron. So they're just kind of going 50 50 split, maybe, and they're going to ride the hot hand. And certainly in week one, uh, Kyron Williams wasn't necessarily hot, but he had 3.5 yards per carry. But Cam Akers was 1.3. It was back to that early, uh, you know, post Achilles type production from Cam Akers when he came back uh, too early or whatever and wasn't able to really generate much yardage. Uh, interesting. You know, rushing for them against the Seahawks too, not known as a great rush defense. So 2.3 yards per carry as a team. Um, no, I have them. I have like Cam ranked 36, Kyron 39. It's kind of wait and see as, as to how this is going to to shake out. That's why I think we have to chase Kyron's routes. Just 73% of routes on dropbacks compared to Acres 10%. Like we have to chase the pass catching back here. That way, no matter what happens to the defense and the offensive line, at least we have the receiving option. Yeah, the Giants 29 at- to. 29 to three in the routes run those two yeah uh, Kyron's 29 routes uh cam Akers three that's that's pretty stark giants at the cardinals both teams which again i don't think we learned anything at all i have received questions about daniel jones darren waller but i'm assuming you still have them quite high in the rankings this week yeah i mean it was it was a complete nightmare disaster whatever whatever phrase you want to use uh yeah. but you know, the Cowboys defense came out, fired up. They have a lot of talent. Giants looked shell-shocked for most of the game. Uh, terrible conditions, so we weren't even able to get, like, a dry catch, passing catch out of those, mm-hmm. uh, out of Daniel Jones and those guys. So I, this is a big bounce-back back spot. I don't think that the Cardinals are as going to be as bad, maybe, or not trying, uh, you know, much as we thought. I think the players, when they go out there, they try. The coaching staff's trying. But it's the GM's job if you're tanking to put them in a position to lose, but look like you're trying. That's what happened with the uh, Washington. I'm sure the GM was a little nervous there when they were about to beat Washington last week. And uh, th- that's just me projecting my thoughts onto him. But I think that's probably the case. Anyway, I think uh, Giants defense is a great play this week. Uh, big bounce back for the offense as well. Um, they're not going to roll over the Cardinals, but you know we're going to get a more normal Giants offense, I think, this week. Daniel Jones, also 13 carries. So regardless, we have the high rushing rushing floor. And you mentioned Darren Waller. He's someone you just roll right back out. Darren Waller ran around on 80% of dropbacks in the first half. They just had no reason to play him in the second half because they were getting beat so badly. Paris Campbell was fifth among all Giants in routes run in the first half, then actually ended up leading the team in routes run because, again, they were in a blowout. They're just throwing guys out there, trying to get to the end of the game and move on. So we're not worrying about those splits. Did you did you see how much Hodgins played in the first half in terms of the routes run? I did not, but uh, as I'm we interested. move as we move on to the Cardinals and you talk about how to handle James Conner as a touch based RB two, I can quickly look it up. Yeah, I'm interested. Uh, Slayton ended up with 34 routes, 26 for Hodgins, but it was 46 pass attempts by or dropbacks for 
for Daniel Jones. And I was just wondering, because I think Hodgins was 60% uh, snaps. And I was, you know, I figured they'd probably pull them in the second half. But uh, so what'd you ask about the Cardinals? What are they going to do? I don't James Conner still somehow <laughs> finished yeah. as a low end RB2 and a poor offense. RB20 on the week in PPR leagues. Is that how you're pretty much ranking him in this matchup? Yeah, it's a tough one with with Connor because he sees so many touches, and you just feel like if he's going to see 15 carries and averages four yards a carry, he's going to end up with 60 yards there, and he gets a few catches, and now you know, and all of a sudden he's an RB two, and maybe he falls into the end zone and uh, ends up as an RB one that week. I mean, it's just a volume based guy. Uh, the Giants got pretty shredded in the running game last week. Uh, Pollard had a couple touchdowns. Uh, so this is a pretty good spot for James Conner as a volume based RB two. He's sort of in that same group with the Rashad whites and, you know, Miles Sanders of the world. Uh, not a lot of confidence that he's going to like lead the, uh, the week in scoring or anything like that. But if you're, if you, you know, we follow the touches when it comes to running back scoring and he's going to see a lot of them this year. And to be clear for the giants first half, Darren Waller, around on 87% of dropbacks, elite. Darius Slayton, 64%. No, Darius Slayton, 74%. Isaiah Hodgins, 65%. That's pretty much their three wide sets and starting personnel. Darren Waller, the player we absolutely go back to after even Logan Thomas finished as the tight end 11 PPR last week against the Cardinals. For the Cardinals receivers, just very quickly, Michael Wilson, yes, we can still get high on, but as long as Marquise Brown is there, I just don't know how often we'll be playing him. Rondo Moore was the one who led in fantasy points, but Rondo Moore had a two-and-a-half-yard depth of target. They have to be concerted targets. Otherwise, they're just not mattering from Josh Dobbs at all. So, yes, 12-14 team leagues and, like, RFFPC, 10-man benches. I'm still stashing Michael Wilson after he led the team in or led their receivers in routes run and air yards, but how useful will that be? I just don't think we get a performance that matters until the second half of the season. It, we won't get anything until there's a quarterback change. If Kyler Murray comes back, then some of these might pay off. Yeah. Uh, but Joshua Dobbs is not going to get there, I don't think. Uh, 132 yards passing, 4.4 yards per attempt. I mean, Marquise Brown did have the 29-yard carry and then three for 28, but I would not feel confident you know, starting him uh, in any game. The only guy that really quote-unquote shined I guess a tight end premium is Zach Ertz with six catches on 10 targets I mean he was at least getting the usage uh maybe he falls in the end zone and uh dad runs his way to the end zone maybe man uh, what a, in, in a spot start Zach Ertz I saw I I have evidence on Twitter went for $918 of fab 91.8% of a thousand dollar fab and a tight end premium league and that 918 is 915 more than total yards after the catch he had. Like, to, <laughs> to lead all tight ends in targets, but to be 25th in receiving yards, that's Zach Ertz. Like, we, we may have lost Tyler Higby, but we got Arizona Tyler Higby, basically. So, sure, if you want to chase it, that's fine. I still personally have, I think we both probably have, Hunter Henry, Luke Musgrave, and Jake Ferguson ranked over him. Moving on to the Jets at the Cowboys. Again, I don't know what we learned. The Cowboys had the highest run play rate of any offense on early downs, first and second down in the first half, which shows intent of offenses. And so we thought they would be that under Mike McCarthy. But at the same time, 
because they had so much success on special teams and defense, we didn't get to see their offense and passing offense play out whatsoever. Like, I, I'm still concerned. Maybe the Jets' defense is still an amazing play this week because we don't know what their passing game entails. So how are you ranking the Cowboys' passing attack here? Well, I'm still, you know, this is a tough matchup with the Jets. I have Dak Prescott. I've got him, again, as a QB2 type. Uh, you know, this doesn't, you know, strike me as it's going to be a very high-scoring game with the Jets' offense the way it is now. Uh, you know, I think CeeDee Lamb's safe. Uh, Brandon Cooks has this MCL sprain. Uh, is likely to miss this week. So, you know, Michael Gallup is kind of a dart throw type, I think. I still uh, am excited about Jake Ferguson, even though he dropped two passes because he did lead the team in targets. I think he had seven targets uh, in, in a game where they only attempted uh, 22 passes, I think. Uh, so, so, 20, so, the, so, the Jake, so the Jake Ferguson splits were also wonky due to blowout. Uh, what happened was Jake Ferguson totaled 14 routes, but 10 of them came in the first half and not only that but he led he was targeted on five of those 10 routes which is amazing and still led all tight ends and red zone targets in the entire league in week one so i think now that we think we're losing brandon cooks because brandon cooks is still he turns 30 in 10 days and he's already dealing with an mcl injury if that's the case like just get higher on jake ferguson i think that's the better play than michael gallup honestly yeah, I mean, I, we've been Jake Ferguson stands this all, all offseason and nothing yeah. I saw. I mean, other than the two drops, he had no drops last year. I don't think I think they'll clean that up. Uh, it was a kind of a rainy night, whatever. So I'm just going to give him a pass on that and just really fall in love with that usage that he was getting on that in the first quarter. For the Jets, the big story is no Aaron Rodgers. Three dropbacks, pressure on all three because we still have big concerns about this Jets offensive line. And then, of course, that calf injury he dealt with in the preseason comes back to haunt him as he suffers a torn Achilles. Garrett Wilson, wide receiver 36 in points per game from Zach Wilson last year. In this game, he scores a touchdown and had 27.7%, a team high mark of Zach Wilson's pass attempts. But still, even on that usage, the wide receiver 22 in PPR because we got lucky with a one-handed touchdown. So I have Wilson as a wide receiver three for the rest of the season. What are your thoughts? I think he's too talented for that. I think he, mm-hmm. you know, rookie of the year last year. I don't know how many how many games did Wilson play start last year uh, versus what Joe Flacco. He also got benched, so it's it's yeah. all over the place. Yeah, I don't know if he was, you know, the primary quarterback for for Garrett Wilson, but I think he's still, you know, a wide receiver too. Obviously, this is a huge downgrade for this offense. Uh, we. We saw what happened with this offensive line with Rodgers. I mean, he got hit, like you said, on all three dropbacks. And if you watched Hard Knocks, you could see him getting really frustrated with the protections from the offensive line. He wasn't going to make it through the season with this offensive line. Like, it wasn't going to happen given his age and propensity to hold on to the ball. Uh, He doesn't necessarily get the ball out quickly, and, you know, this is what happens. So... Like once once I saw like pressures in the first two, I was like, oh boy, this this defense or this uh, the, the Bills defense is going to get to to Rogers and um, so it's interesting though that this offensive line so bad in pass protection, but they were able to generate 172 yards rushing. Brees Hall looked amazing uh, on his 10 carries, and it doesn't. I mean, he had 11 touches. This whole thing about Dalvin Cook being Dalvin Cook did have 16 touches, so I, I wonder now with the Jets the way they are, they can't really win the games with their quarterback, um, do they now, you know, accelerate the process for Brees Hall and start feeding him? Because Devin Cook 
in the same game that Brees Hall had 10 for 127 as a runner, Dalvin Cook had 13 for 33. Uh, yeah. So, you know, he looks, I mean, he looks like an old Dalvin Cook. Uh, Brees Hall looks explosive and like they need to feed him if they want to win games. So do we start to see a little bit more Hall here in the next two or three weeks than we, you know, maybe thought we were going to? That was Brees Hall at 60 or 70% too. Now imagine <laughs> what happens when he's at 100%. Uh, there's just no runways for Dalvin Cook. So yes, despite leading in touches, it just won't matter in my opinion. It's going to continue to fade and increase more in favor of Brees Hall down the stretch. And the Cowboys defense, if you drafted them early, which it did take drafting them early, I mean, imagine a better run out. Week one against the Giants. Now he gets Zach Wilson. They play the Cardinals next week. The Cowboys mm. defense will be the wide receiver one overall by week four. It's going to be absolutely insane. So good luck to you out there if you're playing them. And quick note before we exit this game, Tony Pollard, still amazing usage. In those yes. first three quarters till the Cowboys took a 40 to nothing lead, Pollard out-touched Rico Daddle 16-6 to and handled 100% of the team's carries inside the five-yard line, which he didn't even get a chance to last year with Ezekiel Elliott. Everyone had questions. Do Spawn or Rico Daddle? And do these players matter? One, no. And two, the answer is Rico Daddle if you want to stash. He's in the contingency top 10 because Deuce Vaughn transparently did not play his first snap until Cooper Rush entered the game. So Deuce Vaughn is not a contingency player. He's not a backup. It is only Rico, Rico Dowdle if you're trying to stash the backup to make sure you have the Cowboys RB1 behind Tony Pollard if he were injured. The commanders at the Broncos. And we did get a QB1, albeit QB12, but QB1 performance for Sam Howe, just given the rushing floor. He did end up scrambling for a touchdown and only two carries. And I see the total of this game. I see 38 and a half points. I see Washington with a bottom five team total in the entire slate. And honestly, Paulson, I think it could be wrong because the Broncos were potent. You wouldn't know it since they only ran six drives, but they scored on 50% of their drives, a top five rate. Uh, not to mention that they just finished, after finishing with the fewest possessions of any team in week one, as I mentioned, they also finished with a league low pressure rate. And so they're not getting pressure and they're scoring. And here we have Washington's offense that has a rushing floor and is potent with these wide receivers getting a little healthier, Terry McLaurin included. So I kind of am a little bit higher on Sam Howe this week than Vegas suggest. Interesting. I, you know, you, you look at the overall numbers from Denver last year, they were really solid defensively. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm just, I just high on Howell in general. Like I was a little worried. Like there, there was that, scramble where he fumbled they returned it for a touchdown that the cardinals did and i was like oh is this going to lead to him getting benched and jacoby Brissett coming in but they stuck with them he led them down the uh, field for a field, a field goal attempt before halftime and then he was really solid in the second half he had the go-ahead rushing score the only thing i a little bit worried about was that he passed up a couple of opportunities to take off and run uh you know trying to force a pass they didn't always work out like he he needs to be a four or five, six carry uh, quarterback, I think, to be his best self, certainly his best self from a fantasy standpoint. But uh, he was pretty sharp throwing the ball. And if uh, Terry McLaurin gets healthier, he's going to have a really uh, good receiving core, I think, rest of the season. And since the Broncos blitzed the third highest rate, like Jimmy Garoppolo was allowed nine scrambles, I think we do get a few more scrambles here, which again is why I'm a little higher on Sam Howell this week than Vegas suggest. What would you do with Terry McLaurin? 
since we not only have a Patrick Sertain matchup or whatever that means, I'm, I'm not really into cornerback wide receiver matchups because no one cites them well since like cornerbacks play certain positions X amount of time. Um, but Terry McLaurin technically wasn't limited around on 85% of dropbacks, but I think clearly when you watched him still a little hampered in earning targets. Yeah. I have Dotson ahead of him. Uh, McLaurin, I think is a very talented player, just waiting for full health, you know, waiting for, uh, a typical Terry McLaurin game to really start ranking him as a wide receiver two, wide receiver one that he is in my in my heart. Uh, so uh, Dotson has that that matchup that uh, Jacoby Myers had last week, and I think uh, you know he'll be he'll be a, a solid play wide receiver two. He also did pretty well last week, even though it was just not not a huge passing game for the, the Commanders. I think you might see a little right. bit more of that this week. I'm not dropping Antonio Gibson, even though the team clearly hates him. Brian Robinson outtouched Antonio Gibson 20 to four and ran three more routes. But my only thing is Paulson, even after Gibson fumbled and remember that's important because under Ron Rivera, just two years ago, Gibson had six fumbles. That's why they don't want to play him. I don't want to just yet, since we think we have maybe negative game scripts coming up at Denver this week and then Eagles and bills the next three weeks. So like maybe it changes just a hair because they're forced to play Gibson. Uh, either way though, it's clear Brown Robinson is that at the very least they're RB one. Yeah, and he had the you know he had the, the receiving touchdown uh, early in the game. Um, maybe you could pull the routes run. Uh, he seemed like he is a three down back for them. They they did yes. bring in Gibson as soon as he fumbled. He was like he never existed. Chris Rodriguez Jr. came in uh, and was playing the backup role. Uh, I think Robinson's really safe. Uh, you know volume guy there it's not a not a huge scoring offense or anything like that but he you know 19 carries he had the two targets one reception for a touchdown looked good uh and he takes care of the ball so i you know i don't i think gibson is now more of a uh, attrition play contingency type play than somebody that's going to get regular work in the in the passing game uh it just seems like they don't want him out on the field they don't trust him and you can toss Adam Troutman into this entire lot of tight ends we have that we can mm -hmm. start since Greg Dulcich, which is unfortunate because he was an every down player actually in the first quarter, suffered that leg injury, now out multiple weeks. Troutman earned five targets and a 15.6% target share in the interim. That's very clearly the place they're going to go to now. Sunday night football, Dolphins at the Patriots, and the Dolphins came out firing. We mentioned it earlier, 17 passes that went 15 plus yards. And now my concern, though, even though they were a top 10 offense and pass play rate from neutral game script, so a pass heavy one, the target share behind Tyreek Hill, the king, was dispersed. It was not just Jalen Waddle with over 20% of the team's targets. Jalen Waddle, 11%. But Durham Smythe led this team in routes run and still earned a seven no 15.9 percent target share on seven targets as well not to mention Braxton Berrios with five targets so how are you handling everyone and Jalen Waddle with Tua I, well I would love Jalen Waddle I think he's really talented he was super efficient last year he was good at you know the year before uh, prior to uh Mike McDaniel coming over and prior to Tyreek Kill coming over uh, so I think he bounces back. I don't think this five target thing is going to last very long. I don't think Harry kill is going to see 15 targets a game either. Um, I think Smythe is now one of these streamer type tight ends. I mean, we're Mike Kosicki was 
can I you know, can I tell you a ahead. secret just between us? Uh, n- no one else can hear, so it's okay. okay. I spent 117 fab on Durham Smythe and tight end premium last night, but don't tell anyone. Yeah, I mean, who's going to be the third option in this passing game? It could be Braxton Berrios on a week given week. It could be Smythe. I mean, with Mike Kosicki gone, uh, that's you know a fairly high target rate just out of the offense now. They really didn't replace him, so they're, they're looking at Smythe to do it. So seven targets for him. I don't think that lasts as well. So I think Watt, there's various places where Waddle can get his usual you know seven to nine targets per game, and he's so productive when he does get that sort of. I mean, he got he had 78 yards on five targets, so he's you know obviously a great player. Uh, I don't see, t- I mean, Tyreek Hill, obviously 11 of 15, uh, caught 11 of 15 targets for 215 yards, two touchdowns. Yeah, Can't keep that up. Doesn't go away. The, he's just going, but he's, he's going to be a, the number one option in this, but then, you know, defenses are going to tilt, triple team him or something, and then Wall will be able to take advantage. I mean, good luck. This is this is exactly what he did last year. 13 games to Tua, and he had a 32.5% target share. So 34%. It's just par for the course. It's not even an outlier rate. This is what he does in this offense. So it's just someone who now has the path as the number one player in all of fantasy as long as Tua stays healthy. That's always the question. Also, for Raheem Mostert, where do you have him ranked for everyone in week two? Because the touches, sure, not there. But the usage, that's exactly what we expected. 80% of the team's backfield touches out-touched Ahmed 12-3 as Devon A. Chain was a healthy scratch. Yeah, I've got him at, at RB22. He is uh, a little dinged up, uh, but they said uh, that he is just getting some better in rest. Uh, so, you know, he's he's definitely an injury-prone player throughout his career, but uh, it appears that he's going to be able to play against the Patriots. Patriots are fairly tough defense in general, um, but most of it should see the line share of the, of the backfield touches and be a solid uh, RB2, low-end RB2. The Patriots won't throw over 50 times per game, but very encouraging results in week one based on their offense, based on their usage. Um, at top 10 and pass play rate from one score game script. That's their intent. That's what they want to do. And at least did so against the Eagles. Not to mention finding some sprinkled in playmakers. Juju Smith-Schuster has reportedly lost all confidence from their coaching staff. It is now listed as the wide receiver four or five. It was a one score game, even on the last drive in the second half. And Judas Smith-Schuster ran fewer routes than Kendrick Bourne and Christian Wilkerson. He just wasn't out there. Demario Douglas, instead, was their starting slot receiver. So I think we now, until Devontae Parker returns since he was out last week, have kind of formed this target tree. Kendrick Bourne, Hunter Henry, and Armandre Stevenson for the Patriots. Yeah, I think Bourne specifically uh, looked really good. I mean, six for 64, two touch, two touchdowns, 11 targets, 11 out of 54 uh, pass attempts went to him. Uh, and from what I read, he Juju Smith-Schuster is just relegated to slot duty or less. So we, we sort of thought that he might be the number one receiver, Juju, and that's not going to happen. Devontae Parker uh, and Kendrick Bourne likely play on two receiver sets with Juju maybe in the slot if he can, if he can get out of the field. Uh, but it looks like, I mean, Bourne was really good. Well, he's pretty good. Two years ago, 800 yards, five touchdowns, I think. He also had 120-plus yards rushing. He spent, like, last season in the doghouse, yep. uh, it appeared, and just couldn't get any consistent run. But he's going to get consistent run given the, the absence of Jacoby Myers. They didn't really replace him. And, uh, you know, he, that's why I was advocating for a pretty sizable uh, fab bid for, for, for Bourne this week. Uh, yes, Bourne, Stevenson, and Hunter Henry, who we were both high on. Uh, you were really high on him. Uh, but 
reports throughout camp were that uh, Henry was going to be a very steady and consistent red zone option for Mac Jones, you know, hitting him frequently in their uh, seven on seven, 11 on 11 drills. So, you know, I think you, I think you're right. I think you're looking at Henry Bourne and Stevenson, uh, you know, even Demario Douglas got seven targets. Juju got seven targets. El- Ezekiel Elliott's got seven targets. So it was a lot of pass attempts for Mac, Mac Jones, but you know, as far as players that we trust, I think it's probably Bourne, uh, Henry and Ramondre Stevenson in the passing game. And we're staying very high on Stevenson. We think his wasn't even lowly usage since he outtouched Ezekiel Elliott at the end of the day, 18-12, but snaps behind the scenes, routes run, um, to still have that performance and earn an 11% target share with six targets only 48 hours after he was dealing with a stomach bug. We think that's why the usage was limited. Like He can easily break into an every-down running back, especially since Elliott was, as expected, just so bad on his 12 touches. So stay very high on Ramondre out there. And Hunter Henry, yes, for me, low-end tight end one, French tight end one the rest of the season. Uh, guys, again, for me, like Tyler Higby, Gerald Everett, who I didn't even mention, Gerald Everett for the Chargers, Kellen Moore ran him 52% of the routes, ran Donald Parham 43% of the routes, and it was Parham who led the team, not Everett, with three targets inside the 10. So these are the kind of players I'm dropping and picking up Hunter Henry and Luke Musgrave Saints at the Panthers, the first of two Monday night football games since the NFL hates our personal lives. And it's interesting for the New Orleans passing attack because the moment J.C. Horn got injured last week, the Panthers then allowed 8.6 yards per attempt to the air. I don't know if Derek Carr leads the league with 12 and a half yards depth of target, air yards per target every single week, but it does seem like a good matchup for Chris Olave and your sleeper pick. Rashid Shahid. Yeah, Shahid was excellent last year. Had the fourth highest uh, yards per route run amongst teams or amongst receivers with 30 plus targets. It was a small sample, but still encouraging. Uh, they had him very involved, you know, last week. And I think he needs, if, if he's on the on the waiver wire, he needs to be rostered because if, if Michael Thomas's injuries pop up or something happens to Chris Olave, then you now have yourself a, a bona fide starter because he's electric. They try to get whenever he gets on the field, they try to get him the ball. Uh, so I think he's, you know, I'm thinking about starting him in one of my leagues this week. Uh, I think he's startable uh, on a weekly basis. He might have a game or two where he's not uh, as involved or not able to uh, break a big play like he did last week, but a uh, very talented player. And, uh, you know, they're very clearly funneling targets to those three players uh, in the passing game. Robert Mitchell in the chat does have a question about waivers and it's nitpicking. And that's why I have them ranked next to one another in the waiver wire column. Would you personally start Shahid over Jaden Reed this week? Let's assume Christian Watson's out since he's DMP on Wednesday and Thursday. Well, I think he's asking, should I drop uh, Reed uh, and pick up Shahid? Which is, uh, which is basically, more of a rest of I season. think, starting well, them, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a rest of season question, too, though. Yeah. you got to look a long-term when you're starting to do this kind of stuff. Um, I have Reed right now at 51. I've got Shahid at 54 uh, or 55. That's Actually, I should have him higher. Um, I think, I mean, you're... I get, in these, I get these questions and I'm like, oh, well, if I, what if I have to do this? Well, what do, what do I really want to do? Um, Reed, I, I think both players are very talented. Reed has a chance for maybe a larger role in that passing attack. Uh, but Shahid, as I just mentioned, has a lot of injury contingency upside uh, as well. So I think I lean Shahid over Reed. Uh, I don't know that necessarily this week is going to be better because of the injury to Christian Watson. 
And for big picture takeaways for everyone listening at home to the podcast, basically asking about wide receiver four flex options. That's how you compare it to, not Jaden Reed to your exclusive roster, since that's a one-for-one one answer. For the Saints as well, I mentioned it earlier, it's just a much better situation for Jamal Williams. The fact that he already outtouched Tony Jones 20 to 1, 95% of the team's backfield touches. If Kendry Miller is absent yet again with that lingering knee and hamstring injury, Jamal was going to see every touch in a much more favorable matchup against this Panthers defense that just got road graded by two Falcons running backs. Tyler Algier, who was a top five running back in PPR leagues. But if Kendry Miller were to return, would that affect your ranking of Jamal Williams? I think it would a little bit because he'll probably get a few sprinkled in for a few touches. Whereas Jamal Williams, if, if Miller is out, is going to see almost every touch in this backfield and should do a lot better, as you mentioned. I mean, Tennessee going from Tennessee to Carolina in terms of rush defense is a giant disparity. Uh, so Jamal Williams should have a much better game. To, on the other side of the ball, it's just hard for the Panthers because they have zero juice. They have no one. Jonathan Mingo is still trying to fit into his own body in the NFL. So he's the most explosive player, but he's learning to play as a rookie who really didn't produce in college either. So it's just tough. Having said that, again, what we saw from the Saints against the Titans last week, I really think this is an upset spot and a good matchup for Miles Sanders against the Saints. If you beat the Titans by one point, you don't deserve to to be over field goal favorites on the road. That's crazy. So uh, given how the touches were dispersed between Miles Sanders and Chuba Hubbard, Sanders ha earning 22 touches, 67% of backfield touches. Um, I am a little bit higher on Miles Sanders, I think, than most people in week two. Yeah, and this might be a test of, like, you know, how good is this Atlanta defense, uh, you know, in reality. I mean, they held, they held the Panthers to, to 10 points, and yeah. maybe they, if, if, if the Panthers can bounce back, bounce back against the Saints, then that maybe that we have to respect the Atlanta defense a little bit more. Uh, Sanders had 18 uh, carries to four uh, receptions. Great to see his usage uh, as a receiver after very quiet few seasons uh, with Philly. He had a big rookie season as a pass catcher there, but wasn't used at all uh really uh for philly uh, last few years uh interesting player kind of thing i'm keeping my eye on is terrace marshall who kind of came on late last year he was well regarded by reception perception coming out of college had a really bad rookie year uh but kind of came on a little bit late last year and he saw six targets uh played a lot of snaps so i'm kind of trying to see how this uh, receiving core is going to shake out i mean hayden hurst led him in targets with seven five for 41 and a touchdown which when you look at who they're running out there, it sort of makes sense. Like the rookie quarterback, you know, leaning in on his short target, uh, Hayden Hurst, experienced uh, tight end. Uh, it was also a, a revenge game for Hurst against uh, Atlanta. Uh, but they don't have a lot going on in the, in, in, in the receiving core. So I'm interested to see if somebody like Terrence Marshall or Mingo or somebody like that can emerge. And DJ Chark returning most likely on Monday night. Yeah. We'll be curious to see how the routes play out then because he was being used in two wide sets at camp. So I think he kind of is a sneaky like showdown DFS play because he's going to show up and immediately be the team's best downfield receiver on Monday night. And quickly on Miles Sanders, as you mentioned, yes, 22 touches, but to earn six targets and not even be the team's third down option, like Chuba Hubbard outsnapped him 13 to three on third downs. Uh, that tells you Sanders is earning targets and has at least has a touch-based floor in this offense and what we think is a good matchup against New Orleans. And finally, Browns at the Steelers. And what we were promised from the Steelers offense and how Kenny Pickett fared in pro football focus grades in the preseason, he then became regular season Kenny Pickett. And boy, 
Well, is that ugly? No Deontay Johnson, who's now dealing with a serious hamstring injury. Pat Fryer with a chest injury, questionable for Monday night. So how are you handling the fallout and George Pickens and Allen Robinson in your rankings behind those injured players? Yeah, I mean, Pickett, I'd give him somewhat of a pass. I mean, I don't think that – I think this could be a very bad matchup. I mean, the, as I mentioned, the Browns' defense is, is pretty good too. So, like, yep. when Pickett comes out and struggles against the 49ers, it's not hugely shocking because they have one of the best defenses in the league. And Pickett is just – we saw what he was last year. We're not, we weren't expecting him to come out and tear it up against a really good defense. We were expecting him to be at least competent. And, you know, 232 yards passing on 46 pass attempts is not terribly competent. He had the one touchdown to, to uh, Frermuth, um, but losing his best route runner in Deontay Johnson. So that's troubling. I mean, I'm not high on Pickett, certainly, as he's a QB3 for me. Um, you know, I think Pickens can get there. Uh, Calvin Austin was interesting, had six targets, caught all six for 37 yards. So I think he comes in on three receiver sets. Allen Robinson was surprisingly decent, five for 64 on, on eight targets. So they might have like, you know, they might be able to get that 200, 250 yard uh, passing day with a touchdown or two if, if things are going well. I just worry about the interceptions and stuff with, with Pickett uh, against a really good and stingy uh, Browns defense that shut down the uh, Bengals last week. We also have to get lower on... Najee Harris. Uh, everyone says blowout, but that wasn't the case at all. Again, take the splits, understanding what happened. Um, in the first half of last season, Harris handled 87% of Pittsburgh's backfield touches. After the bye from week 10 on, in eight games with Jalen Warren, he handled 70% of the backfield touches, so it started declining. And this week, in the first two quarters alone, 50-50 split between him and Jalen Warren. It's just not a player we can even be confident in as a touch base floor. So I'm certainly worried about Najee Harris. Yeah, I, you know, eight, eight touches a piece for him and Warren. And, yeah. you know, the interesting thing about Pittsburgh is that they have a good offensive line. They invested in it. They've been investing in it for the last few years. And it really looked like they were going to uh, feed the running game, whether it's Harris or Warren or a combination of the two. And they only ended up with 10 rushes last week against 46 uh, attempts, even though the game was kind of a blowout, like you would have expected them to try to stick with the run of it a little bit longer and they didn't. So uh, that combined with the splits between Harris and Warren, uh, you know, Harris was definitely sliding down the the rankings in August as we were seeing Warren playing uh, basically half the snaps in mm -hmm. preseason games with the first team. And we, we kind of saw this one coming. And I don't know if Warren has standalone value right now, the way this offense is, but you at least have to keep him stashed as that contingency option because if he gets every touch, he's a little demon. Like, we've seen what he can do when he's in every touchback. So that's what we're really stashing him for. On the other side of the ball, speaking of wonky splits, let's get to the Browns' backfield because you're obviously starting Nick Chubb and no one else. 53% of Jerome Ford's carries came on those in the last few minutes whenever he was icing the game with that big lead 24 to 3 lead over the Bengals he's not he wasn't even involved in the first 3 quarters so we're not really worried about Jerome Ford whatsoever we at least got the evidence that he's the clear backup and contingency player to roster behind Chubb for their passing game though Paulson i want to be a little bit higher on Elijah Moore moving forward like the fact that as their primary slot receiver 64% of his routes from the slot he can still lead the team in routes run and tie for a team high target share with two carries for concerted touches. 
it seems like they are also high on Elijah Moore. So I will continue to rank Elijah Moore higher than consensus. Yeah, I think, you know, in camp we were hearing they were they were trying to manufacture touches. They're trying to feed Elijah Moore, find ways to give him the ball. Uh, I certainly was concerned about his snap usage, and you know, his snap rate in, in three receiver sets only. Uh, but, you know, seven, leading the team or tying tying Amari uh, Cooper with seven targets, getting those getting those carries as well. Yeah, I definitely moved him up the the rankings this week. It looks like that he's a featured part of this offense, and they aren't uh, looking to Donovan Peoples Jones as much. He only had two targets, yeah. one for twelve. Uh, we'll and it'd be interesting to see. Does he start to lose snaps to more in two receiver sets, or is it is it DPJ going to be running wind sprints all all season like a few players we we know around the league? And Deshaun Watson, what about your week two rankings? Since the argument all offseason long was he has the passing ceiling, but more importantly, everyone he's being drafted around, they don't offer a rushing floor. So who cares? And of course, then Deshaun Watson answers as the QB six on the week because he had five scrambles for 45 yards and a touchdown. Yeah, I was, you know, I was watching the the box score and I was pretty pleased that Watson wasn't doing a whole lot because I didn't rank him very high in the preseason, but he ended up he got there with the with the 10 points in the in the rushing game. Not particularly impressive as a passer, 16 for 29, mm-hmm. 154 yards, 5.3 yards per attempt. But if he is offering 30, 40, 50 yards uh rushing, uh, you know, he's gonna be, you know, like a Sam Howell or Anthony Richardson, uh, you know, getting that rushing floor and being able to get there as a QB one that way. With that. I think we touched on everything. Reminder, you will be back Friday, tomorrow, live for everyone to answer their start sits, which I will not do, at 2 p.m. Eastern. So stay tuned for that. And then we will be back with the DFS show, TJ Hernandez, Pat Corain, friend of the show, all of us at 6 p.m. Eastern every single week. Those are the schedules to do. So until then, remember, thank you for tuning in and be a little bit kinder than what's required.